are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want you to turn with us tonight to the third and fourth chapters of the book of Acts. Now, don't let that frighten you. I'm not going to preach everything in these two chapters, but I want to read from chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Acts. And I must say to you that what I'm going to preach to you about tonight, uh, the Lord seemed to show me recently from the Word of God. I've been reading the Bible 56 years, but I never saw uh, just as it is, and I want you to see it tonight. I never saw it until just recently in the third and fourth chapters of the book of Acts. And by the way, the book of Acts is a manual on soul winning. It's a book on how to do it. You know, if people would read and study and preach and practice the book of Acts more, you wouldn't hear so much about the electronic church. I believe in electronics. I have electric lights and I wouldn't sit in the dark for anything in the world. But you wouldn't hear so much about the electronic church. You'd hear about a soul-winning church going house to house and preaching to people the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we'd read more and study more and preach more from the book of Acts, you wouldn't hear so much about lifestyle evangelism because you wouldn't find it there. You'd find a confrontational evangelism where people look one another in the eye and told them about how to be saved and how to get to heaven. I want to read tonight a few verses from chapter 3 and then from chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Beginning of verse 1 in chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him to the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now, I want you to skip over to verse 13 of chapter 4. Let's read some more about this man being saved and being healed. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, 
They marveled. I can't read that verse without commenting. I don't think the Bible is saying that Peter and John were ignoramuses. I don't think the Bible is saying they didn't know anything. It is saying they were unlettered men. No one called them doctor or master, but they certainly were not ignorant men. They knew God and knew the truth, knew how to win people to Christ. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they may speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them, and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more than unto God judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. There are two verses here that really arrest my attention. I don't know that I could call them a text tonight, but I want to use these two statements as a starting point for my message to you out of the Word of God. In verse 14, Beholding the man which was healed standing with him, with them, they could say nothing against it. Nail that down in your mind. They could say nothing against it. Then again in verse 16, they said, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them as manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. These enemies of the gospel, these enemies of Christ, these religions, religionist people who knew not what it meant to be saved and to know Christ personally, said, One thing we can't deny, we cannot deny they have the man. We can't deny that a great miracle has been wrought in the life of a man. I like to think of what happened after Pentecost. You see here, two men after the day of Pentecost going up to the temple of God to pray. They went together to that temple to pray, and there sat a man begging for alms. Peter said to him, Silver and gold have I none. Such as I have, give I thee. My, what he had to give. He had something to give that that man needed more than anything in the world. He thought he needed gold. What he really needed was God. And here were some people who told him, how to know God personally, and how to be saved. You know, I'm amazed at what the Bible says happened after the day of Pentecost. I read in these chapters, in chapter 2 and verse 43, for instance, many signs and wonders, this is after Pentecost, many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. 
Acts 2.43. You read in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, almost the same statement. And by the hands of the apostles, there were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. So many miracles happened. Remember that tonight. After the day of Pentecost, many miracles. No one knows how many. There might have been thousands. There might have been tens of thousands. For the Bible says that they heard of the great work of God on the day of Pentecost. Three thousand people being saved. The word of God being preached with wonderful power. And they said, let's take our sick people out of the cities around Jerusalem and put them on every street in Jerusalem so that just the shadow of Peter passing by might bring about their healing. Yes, the Bible says many signs and wonders were done after the day of Pentecost. Many miracles. There was the miracle of people being saved. The Bible says multitudes, multitudes believed and were saved after the day of Pentecost. Many wonders, many miracles, many signs were done. But I'd like for you to notice tonight that out of all these miracles, hundreds of them, perhaps thousands of them, maybe many more than we can imagine, the whole countryside was electrified with the miracle-working power of God. But out of all of these miracles, the Holy Spirit of God who wrote this Bible in these chapters zeroes in on one of those great miracles. And that's a miracle of a man being saved and a man being healed. You know, there's more said about this man and the events that came about as a result of the work of God in his life. There are more verses devoted to that miracle. This one man, more verses devoted than are devoted to the day of Pentecost itself. There are some 63 verses devoted to this miracle and the events that were brought about by the salvation of this man. Forty-seven verses devoted to describing to us about Pentecost and what happened on the day of Pentecost. For some reason, the Holy Spirit of God zeroes in on one man who needed to be saved and who needed a miracle of God in his life. I'd like to try to see tonight why God, the Holy Spirit, who wrote this Bible, and I like what the preacher said tonight, I thank God for this perfect Bible. I don't have any anything to do with people who do not believe that this is a perfect book. And the Holy Spirit of God in this Bible zeroed in on one man. One man who one day felt the power of God in his life. One man that that day sat thinking he knew his need but did not know it until who two spirit filled men came and told him what he needed. You know, God's interested in one man. Oh, I like to see hundreds and hundreds of people saved. I thank God it's been my wonderful privilege, not because of me, but great soul-winning people in the great days of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I've seen hundreds and thousands of people saved. 
My pastor who pastors that church now, I'm just the senior pastor now. But the pastor who pastors that church has often said, the day I was saved in this church, there were 54 adults and scores of children, young people saved. 54 adults the day I was saved. That was 37 years ago in one service. So I, I, I like to see the altars filled. I want that. I believe God is interested in seeing multitudes of people saved. I think we ought not to be satisfied until our altars are filled with people at the services of our church and people are saved. But I want to say to you tonight, God is interested in one man. Why, you remember when, when Paul and his team began to pray about where to go. They said, well, let's go into Asia. That's a continent. The Spirit of God said to them, no, I don't want you to see a continent. Are you not going into Asia? Then they said, well, let's go into Bithynia, a smaller region. And the Spirit of God said, no, you're not going into Bithynia. You're not going, you're, I'm not going to show you a continent. I'm not going to show you a region. And then the Bible said, there appeared unto Paul in a vision at night a man who said, come over into Macedonia and help us. I want to say to you, before you can win a city, before you can win a nation, you must be interested in what God was interested in. And that's getting a man saved. Now, ladies, don't get excited when I talk about getting a man saved. Because it's a very interesting thing that when they went over into Macedonia, in answer to the vision God had given them, having seen a man who said, come over into Macedonia and help us, the first person they led to Christ was a woman. So we'll put feminism to rest and say, when I'm talking about a man, I'm talking about an individual. I'm talking about one person for whom Jesus died. These enemies of the gospel said, well, one thing you can't deny, they got the man. We've been looking at him for 40 years. He was lame from his birth. We can't lie out of this. There's no way in the world we can deny it. This man has been a cripple, and look at him leaping and praising God now and with the joy of the Lord in his heart and life. You know, they said, we've got the man. They've got him. And I want to tell you, that's what we need in our hearts tonight. Is a desire born of the Holy Spirit of God to get somebody saved, to get a man saved, to get a woman saved. To get a child saved. God said, before you think about our continent, think about the individual soul for which Jesus died. I preached one time years ago up in the city of Troy, Ohio. Eleven o'clock on Sunday night, I was sitting in my room and turned on the eleven o'clock news. I saw something on the news that night that I think, in a way, revolutionized my life. I saw the story enacted on the news of a boat that overturned in Cincinnati, Ohio, on the river. A father and his brother 
and a 12-year-old boy were in that boat. The uncle of that boy was drowned. The father was saved. They could not find the boy. There that night, in living color on television, I saw a scene that made me weep, that excited me, that motivated me, that gave me direction about what God wanted me to do all of my life. I saw them and on the television how they'd hooked onto that boat, pulled it in to the shore, no one knowing what happened to the 12-year-old boy. I saw these big firemen and policemen, these strong men, turn that boat over, and one man dived under the water, down under that boat, and in a moment he came up with a boy in his arms. And the boy was alive. He found a little pocket of air in that boat, and God had spared his life. And I remember that big old policeman, great big muscular man, held that boy in his arms and hugged him. And he wept and he said, I've got the boy. I've got the boy. I said to myself that night, Oh, Lord, someday when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I want to be able to say, I've got the man. Oh, that's what God wants tonight. You can talk about it all you want to, but the need of the hour in America is getting the man saved and getting the man to God. Oh, well, people say, it's so dark in the land. It's so dark in our nation. And I'll tell you why. It's because the lights that ought to be shining all over America, that's the light of Christian testimony, are not shining like they ought to shine. Oh, God wants us tonight to get the man. And I see some wonderful lessons in this great story in the Bible. This was a lost man. You know, the Bible doesn't say, really, this man got saved. But I know that he did get saved. No doubt in my mind about it. If you read the second chapter of the book of Mark, when they brought the paralytic to Jesus, they brought him because he was a paralytic. And they knew if they could get him to Jesus, Jesus would know what to do with him. And they brought the paralytic to Jesus. But the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the man sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That's the main thing. He didn't say anything about healing for a moment. But people began to look and they, they saw this man there in the presence of Jesus. And they heard Jesus say, Thy sins be forgiven thee. And they said, Why, who can forgive sins but God only? And they started a controversy. Jesus said, whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say unto the man, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And he said to the man, Rise, get up, you're healed. But he was saved first. And I'll tell you, if you'll study about this man in Acts chapter 3 a little bit, see him leaping and praising God and shouting and drawing the crowd, and hear Peter's explanation of it. You'll know beyond the shadow of a doubt what happened this day was that a man not only got healed, but he got saved. And that's what God's interested in. You know, I believe a lot of people tonight are, have it just the opposite. 
You hear so much about healing, healing, healing. I believe in divine healing. I don't believe in divine healers, but I believe in divine healing. But I want to tell you, it's not the body. God is zeroing in on tonight, but the soul for which Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. So the man got saved. He was a lost man. And I'll tell you why I'm emphasizing that tonight. You know, there's not much preaching anymore about the depravity of man. I, I, I think there's a dearth of preaching about the depravity as it's taught in the Bible of every person in this world. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us, God said. You know, the Bible says, Isaiah 64 and 6, uh, we're all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags, and our iniquities have taken us away like the wind. This Bible says man is lost. I don't believe, I don't agree with the people that say that he's so lost, so depraved, he has no will. He's either destined to go to hell or heaven. I think a man or woman has a vote on that. And I believe tonight he has the capability of believing in Jesus Christ and being saved. But man is depraved. There's none righteous, no, not one. An unpopular subject. There's none that doeth good. No, not one, God said. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. We have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm talking about man as a depraved, lost and undone sinner who needs Jesus Christ in order to be saved. I'll tell you one reason I believe it needs to be emphasized. You know, a lot of folks are saying today, well, you can't have standards anymore. You can't get people to live and dress and act like they ought to anymore. I'll tell you what will help with the standards business. If you remind people they still live in a depraved body. Some people say, well, when I got saved, I got saved all over. I didn't. I wish I could have, and someday, hallelujah, I'm going to be. If I'd have gotten saved all over, I wouldn't need these things. And I wouldn't have to somebody sometimes say, Heck, what did you say? And my back would never hurt, and I'd never have any bun- bunions or bulges or bridges or bifocals. No, every Christian lives in the depraved body, a fallen body. One day, thank God, when the Lord comes, this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. But man, man is lost without God. Oh, the religious people in America tonight, religious, many of them Baptists, many of them for all their life members of a denomination, but have never been saved. This was a lost man. Old Dr. Henry Joe Hankins used to say, you can't get a man saved till you get him lost. And one reason sometimes we don't see much of the people, and I, you know, I've, I've had, I've converted a lot of people. I have no idea where they are. But the ones that the Lord converted, you can still find them. It's a house of God. But I think one reason that's true is because 
People are not made to know they need to be saved because they're lost. Oh, I remember a man. I remember a man that seemed like God brought him along and brought me to him at a time in Emmanuel Baptist Church when we reached a plateau and we wanted to go higher and just keep on going upward. But it seemed like we were stuck on a plateau. I'll have to admit at that time, it's a mighty good plateau to be stuck on. But I don't think churches, Christians, should be satisfied. They ought to keep going higher and doing more and winning more people to the Lord. And we were at that place. I was getting ready to go away to the state of New York for two Bible conferences, two weeks, a week in each place. And my phone rang. I, I literally had the trunk lid of my car up and was loading my suitcases into my car to leave for the train down in Detroit to go over to the state of New York for two Bible conferences. The phone rang, and my wife said, Tom, this is for you. I went to the phone, and the trembling voice of a man said, I live at 239 State Street. My sister has cancer. My sister's going to die. Would you come and see her? I went and put the trunk of the, the other car down, left off the packing, drove to 239 State Street, up uh, two flights of stairs, knocked on the door, following the directions he'd given me. I'll never forget what I saw when that door opened. I saw a pudgy little man, probably about 70. Hair was gray, clothes were dirty and filthy. When he opened that door, I saw a little hospital bed inside. And a lady in there, as white as my shirt, emaciated and sick, he said, this is my sister. And he said to me, my sister and I have called our church. That would have been the first Methodist church of Pontiac, Michigan. We've called our church 12 times and asked for someone to visit my sick and dying sister. And no one would come. We've been members of that church, he said, from our childhood. I walked over to that lady. I later found out uh, that she was this man's sister. Only two members left living of the family. And she was laying on a little hospital bed in the midst of the most filthy a bunch of debris and filth I've ever seen in a house. I took her little white bony hand and I said to her, God loves you. And Jesus died for you. And the Lord wants to save you. She said, oh, that's what I need. I want to be saved. She was just as easy to lead to the Lord as it could possibly be. I went back rejoicing that that lady had been saved. I continued my getting ready and went out of the city and was gone two weeks. Two weeks from that very day, my phone rang again. And a man said, my sister died today. I wanted you for the funeral, but you were not back in town. And he said, I want you to come back to 239 State Street. I want to get what my sister got. said, when my sister died, she said to me, Arthur, I'm going to heaven, and I want you to go. I went back to 39 State Street, and the man asked me to come in. Now, I don't have the time tonight to describe to you the environment in the six rooms of that flat on the second floor at 239 State Street. There were milk cartons and milk cans. There were newspapers and magazines. 
There were all kinds of empty uh, canned goods, uh, things, empty cans, and all of them were laying there. Literally, there was a path about knee-deep that you could go from one room to the other. I lie not. I tell you the truth. I've never in my, my life seen anything like it. That man sat down on the couch, clothes dirty and filthy. He said to me, Preacher, my sister went to heaven. That's where I want to go. I want to be saved. I had the joy to lead Arthur McVeigh then to the Lord. I didn't know who he was and what he was. But one day, after Arthur McVeigh was saved, he said, There are 32 acres over here on Golf Drive, a quarter of a mile from your church. We had Midwestern Baptist College in the church buildings at the time. said, you ought to buy that 32 acres. You know, preachers know what to say when you start talking to them about money. And I said to him, I would if I had the money. That's what you should always say. And I said to him, I would if I had the money. And he said, well... You go look into it. The little sign on it, he says, has a phone number. Call it. Look into it. Come back and tell me. I thought, my, what good is that going to do? This looks like a man needs a dime for a cup of coffee. But I went and made the call. They said, we need $5,000 if you buy these 32 acres. That's down payment. I went back and told the man. I said, they told me in order to buy it, I'd need $5,000. He went walking through all this filth and debris. He took his foot, literally, turned over some newspapers and magazines and kicked an empty can out of the way time or two, literally. I'm telling you the truth right now. I'm not preaching right now. I'm telling you the truth. He, he kicked things around, and he reached down, and he picked up a bundle of money, and he began to peel it off. And he says, here's the $5,000. Go buy that property. That's where a Midwestern Baptist college has been. For the last, I think, about 30 years. I want to say to you tonight, God knows what He's doing when He sends you to a man or a woman who needs Christ. Oh, there's not enough money, not enough money in the world to ever get me and you to try to win somebody for what we can get out of them. We win them because they're lost and they need Christ. But I want to tell you the reason a lot of people are suffering tonight for lack of funds and equipment is because they're not interested in the man. God give us churches with a personal touch, like the Bible says, from house to house, from door to door, and to every creature. You know, I, I get a lot of calls, I guess you do too, all over the country, and they'll pick up and say, is Tanya there? Say, no, Tanya here. They get a lot of calls if they call the wrong number, or they think they are. One day it dawned on me, they're not calling the wrong number. They're calling the number of a Christian. They're calling somebody that knows how to get to heaven. So there are no wrong numbers. Do you ever take a card and go up to a house and somebody say, no, the Jones don't live here. Our name is Smith. You say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bother you, put it in your pocket. Listen, you made a mistake. You can't go to the wrong house. Because the Bible says every house. That's the right house. I don't care what the card says, that's the right house. 
You speak to somebody sometime about the Lord, and you think you know who you're talking to. You find out you don't. But you see, you can't make a mistake. Because the Bible says every creature. And what I think God is trying to say to us tonight, you have to get interested in winning the individual to Christ. If you want to build a great church and see the altars filled, you must go for the man that God points to you. I like something else about this wonderful biblical account. I read that Peter and John went up together. I like that little word, together. There's a lot of folks I can't get together with. I'll just tell you about that and get it off my chest. I, I don't want to get together anybody doesn't believe this Bible. I want to tell you, if somebody doesn't believe Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God, and they're not going to be in togetherness with me. I can't have it in togetherness with these people that talk about the world church. Like a little squeaky-looking little man came to me years ago with a little briefcase carrying it like it was a woman's purse. And he said to me, you believe in the world church? I said, yes, I do. Let me tell you why. And I read to him from the 17th and 18th chapter of Revelation, where it says the great whore and the abomination. I said, that's the only world church this Bible talks anything about. And so a lot of folks I can't get together with. I can't, I can't get together too much with people that are compromising with a denomination whose schools are apostate. When the Bible says, come out of it, that's what the Bible says. Oh, but you say I'd lose my retirement. Come out of her. Oh, but you say all my friends are there. But that doesn't change the Bible. There's some folks I can't get together with. But I won't tell you there are a lot I can the Bible said Peter and John went up together. They got together. But let me tell you something. Simon Peter had not too many days before that cursed and swore and said, Well, I'm not one of his. I'm not a Christian. I don't belong to Jesus. I'm not involved in all of this. And John heard him. John knew one day. When those all-seeing eyes looked deep in Peter's soul, and Peter repented, and the Lord forgave him. And John knew all of that. And I read, and Peter and John went up together. I want to tell you, we need to get together about soul winning. We need to get together about building the right kind of churches. Peter and John went up together. Peter's failures were under the blood. They were all forgiven. All differences were laid aside. The main thing is to get people saved. And they went up together, the Bible says. Oh, there's some people need to get together. You know, I think about fundamentalism. And I am a fundamentalist. I don't care what people say about it. That's what I am. That's all I've ever known. Don't want to know anything else. Some folks think I'm crazy. And I am a little daffy. But I don't want any help. I don't want anybody. I don't want to be normal. That'd be so boring. But I want to tell you, I believe God's people need to get together. Remember, all the Pharisees 
and the doctors of the law who passed that man, who never prayed a prayer for him, never shed a tear over him, never spoke to him about his soul. I like it when two people said, let's get together in the work of God. And they got a man saved. You know, I was thinking, when I was thinking of my spiritual birthday, I was thinking of the glorious days when the Lord saved me and called me to preach. My mother was a harget. By the way, my mother's still living. She's 98 years of age. She's like me. She's a little bit daffy, but she's still living. My dear old grandparents raised me. They were married 72 years. I've been married to the same sweet, beautiful lady 52 years. I get a hold of something good. I, I don't, I not only don't turn it loose, I don't let anybody take it away from me. Honestly, they used to say to the politicians, you get the Hargits to vote for you. You can beat anybody if you can get the Hargits. My mother sat with my dear granddaddy at age 92. See, my granddaddy didn't know any better. He ate pork. He drank pure milk. He drank coffee. It killed him. <laughs> Finally got him. He'll kill you. It's killing my mother. It killed my daddy. He died at the tender age of 94. But oh, I remember all those people that were lost. That were my cousins and aunts and uncles. I said, oh God, I'd like to see the day when if somebody would say to me, for all your family and your relatives, are they saved? I said, oh God, I'd like to see the day when I could say, as far as I know, every one of my relationships have come to know the Lord. I came to see that day. I remember in an old school building where I was preaching in my first revival, an old school building. I gave an invitation. I called myself an evangelist right off the bat. I didn't even know how to spell it, but I said, that's what I'm going to call myself. And I looked up and I saw that sweet old couple who gave me a home and raised me. I saw that sweet old country lady put her hand through my grandfather's arm. I saw them come down to the old-fashioned mourners' benches, benches turned to face the audience. I saw them come and with some labor kneel and were wonderfully saved. My mother, my mother had four, four brothers, and she said to me one day, many years ago, Tom, all my brothers are lost. But with the help of God, I'm going to win them. And whenever one of them died, they died with faith in Christ because my mother said, I'm not going to let my brothers go to hell. But I, I, I heard my grandfather, after he got saved, I heard him mention a man's name. I never heard that man's name before. My grandfather took care of me from a six-year-old boy till I was 19, nearly 20. And when I got saved, I lived with my grandparents on a little poor farm in North Alabama. I never heard my grandfather mention the name of Bill Charnockle. I listened to him talk and lived with him. Never heard him mention William Charnockle, Bill Charnockle. But after he got saved, he said to me one day, Tom, I want to tell you about Bill Charnockle. 
said when they were building that highway, that's the Jackson Highway they called it then. I think it's Highway 43, I'm not sure. It's a, a graveled highway. Used to walk it two and a half miles back and forth to go to school. Said when they built that highway, they asked me to come with my teams, my horses and mules, and the old-fashioned dirt scrapers, and build up the fill for two miles of this highway. Said I built a little shack, just a little tiny shack. And I, by the side of where I was working, said we kept this, the teams there, the horses and mules and the equipment. And he said, I slept in that little shack every night. Said I didn't even go home. Said one night there came a rap at the door, that little shack. I went to the door. There stood Bill Sharnockle. Bill Sharnockle said, Will, you know I'm a Christian. Said, I've had you on my heart. I've been praying for you for years. I want you to be saved. My grandfather told me, he said, Tom, I said to him, well, Bill, I appreciate you coming. But he said, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I have to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning and get ready to start working on the highway. Said, I just sleep on this little pallet here, this quilt on the floor. I, I I can't offer you much. I just got through eating some cold bread and cold beans. And I'm getting ready to go to bed. Had a lantern, old-fashioned lantern, in the little shack where I was sleeping. Said, Bill, I'm getting ready to go to bed. Bill Sarnockle said, Well, I'd like to come in. Said, I, I don't need anything to eat. He said, But I'm getting ready to go to bed. And Bill Sarnockle said, But Will... I want to spend the night with you. This is a wealthy man. Lived up in the city. He said, Bill, uh, Will, I'd like to sleep with you here on the floor tonight. And my grandfather said that night, as this man of God lay on a pallet in that little shack in the stillness of the night, he heard him talking to him. And he said, Will, you know, Christ died for you. And the Lord loves you, Will. And he said, I, I love your soul. I want you to be saved. That's why I'm here. He slept on the floor that night. He talked to my grandfather until they both went to sleep. But my grandfather didn't get saved. But after he got saved, he said to me, Tom, I never could get over Bill Sharnock. He said, I thought of him and thought of him and thought of him. And he said, I'll never forget that night when a man came. Slept on the floor, stayed all night, did without food, because he wanted to get me saved. And I believe that day when those two old people walked down in that old country school, knelt that old-fashioned altar, and got saved. I believe up in heaven, Will Sharnockle was praising God, and angels jumping up and down, and God looking over the battlement of heaven. And I believe it made heaven happy. Because Will Sarnockle said, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be saved. That's what we need tonight. Oh, we need what this Bible teaches us God is interested in. God wants you to get the man saved. I like to think about this man's conversion. My time is up. So is yours. But uh, maybe sooner than you think. I like to think about what this man's conversion brought about. You read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, it said, How be it? See, things are going on. 
They put Peter and John in jail because they led somebody to Christ. And let me tell you, there are some people, religious people in America tonight, that hate you and I enough. They'd put us there if they could. They put them in jail. They said, don't speak anymore in this name. But the Bible said, how be it? The number of men came to be about 5,000. How be it? Doesn't make any difference if we got put in jail. The Word of God is not bound. And people are continuing to be saved. I'm saying to you, God, use the conversion of one man to send the gospel further and to get more people saved. It brought about the preaching of two great sermons. You know, a lot of folks that are religious can't understand how we can get somebody saved, born again, and they're different and they're a new creature. They can't understand building a church by winning souls. They can't understand that. These enemies couldn't understand. They said, by what name, above what power did you do this? Peter said, well, this is what I've been waiting for. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> My, what a great sermon he preached. He got out of jail. He turned around and preached another one. You know, a lot of things happen. This man provoked a crowd. He provoked two great sermons. He got two preachers in jail. He... Um, he caused Christians to pray for boldness. You know, Acts 4.31, I never thought of it before until recently. There's a lot of things I've never thought of. But I never thought of it before. But Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were prayed, praying, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. You know what brought that about? That man getting saved. And they got put in jail. And they were told to shut up. Peter, full of the Holy Ghost, said, We cannot help but speak the things that God tells us to speak. And that's the way I feel. I don't want somebody telling me what to preach and where to preach. I know what to preach. I got it right here. They said, uh, well, We're not going to quit telling this story. My, what this man's conversion provoked, and I, I want to get off of that, but I like to think of his conversion. My, my. Uh, you talking about happiness. You talking about excitement. Here's a fellow that the Bible says over 40 years he'd been a lame man. Never had walked. One day a man of God took him to the hand and said, Stop! In the name of Jesus! Stand up! And he got up on his feet. I'd like to have been there. He said, you know, I've never, I've never seen things from this perspective before. And he, he stood up and I think he practiced standing. Oh, he must have said, this is wonderful. Never stood up before. Never could look people in the eye before. And he said, this is wonderful. I can stand. Then he thought, I think he said, I believe I'll try something else. I think I'll see if I can walk. My, I'd like to see him walking. He said, I've never been mobile before. Never walked before. My, you folks that can walk, you don't know how much I'm enjoying this. That's not all. 
said, I believe I'll try something else. I said, I think he must have said, I believe I can run. And then he practiced that a while, and I think he said, I think I, I'm going to try one more thing. I believe I could jump. And the Bible said, leaping up, he stood. You know what happened? People said, there's something going on over there. We better get over there. Look at the crowd over there. I, I knew a fellow that used to do street preaching. And he had different ways he'd get a crowd. For one, one thing, he'd go out and he'd just stand and he'd look up in the sky. Another guy would come and he'd look up. Another guy would come and he'd look up. And a lot of people said, look at those three idiots there looking up in the sky. Said, I, I, I can get a crowd that way. I want to tell you. The people said there's something going on over there. And the crowd gathered. You know, I believe, I believe the greatest advertisement of a church in the world is that somebody gets saved in that church. I'm thinking tonight of a man. His name was John Crenshaw. John Crenshaw's wife Alice Crenshaw used to listen to me preach on the radio every morning. She said to John one day, said, I want you to take me to Emmanuel Baptist Church, the very earliest days of the church. So next Sunday, here comes this fine-looking lady. She had on a fur coat. We'd never seen anybody in our church with a fur coat. And I mean, she attracted attention. She came down the aisle, and she was wonderfully saved. But to Johnny... When, they, when he brought her, John had said, I'll go park the car. You go on in. I'll be in later. Service is over. She'd gotten saved. Johnny hadn't showed up. And she walked out. There he was waiting in the car. Next Sunday, she said, Johnny, you know, I want to go to that church again. She told him that week, I was saved in that church, that little tavern building. I saved last Sunday. I want to go to church. Johnny was a UAWCIO international representative. He had arms like a mule's leg. He was a man. Somebody told me one time, I wish you could have seen Johnny Crenshaw whip a bully in the lobby of the Roosevelt Hotel. You, you, you'll pray for me, because I'm just not sanctified like you are yet. I thought inside, I would have liked to have seen that come <laughs> Oh, they said, this man fears no one. He fights his way through life. They said, why, he beat that bully all over that lot of that hotel. Said, I wish you could have seen it. Next Sunday, they drove up in front of the little Castle building. And he said, now I'll go park the car and you go on in. She said, no, evidently parking's hard to find. I'll go with you. By the way, it's hard for me to find who. I'm in a mud hole out here somewhere. I'm going to need help after I get through. Said, I'll go with you. So they came in, and that Sunday morning, down across what used to be a dance floor, came this big man's man. And he was sobbing and crying. And he got saved. They tell me that people in Pontiac said, you know, I'd like to go out to that church. John Crenshaw got saved in that church. And I believe people came who never would have come because the word got around. John Crenshaw 
was saved in this church. I wonder tonight, do you have the man? Do you have somebody tonight? You've won to Christ. When you get to heaven, you'll not stand before him empty-handed. I won my father to Christ after preaching 25 years. I've told about it all over the country because it's sweet to me. I preached 25 years and my father, my vagabond, drunkard, gambling father, is going to hell. Say, preacher, did you try to win him? Did everything I knew how? Except one. And one night and one day, I did that. I got on my knees in a little motel room in Barbersville, Ohio, and I locked the door and I said, Lord, I never want another drink of water, a bite of food, to see another human face until I know my dad's going to be saved. Three days later, 728 Apache Street, Houston, Texas, I walked in his yard and I said, Dad, I want you to be saved. He dropped his head and said, Tom, that's what I want. And he's in heaven tonight. I'm preaching to people tonight who have lost loved ones. Recently, a preacher said to me, I have four brothers that are lost. He put his arms around me. He put his head on my shoulder. And he wept like a baby. He said, think of it. I'm a preacher. And I have four lost brothers. I'm preaching to people tonight. Have an unsaved member of your family. Some of you have lost sons and daughters. Some have a lost husband or wife. Some have a lost mother or father. Like my father was lost. He was lost until... That night, God got a hold of my heart in that little motel room. God showed me some things about me that were not pretty at all. God tore me up. God poured me out like a pitcher of water. And three days later, my father was saved. What we need tonight are some Christians who say, if my loved one goes to hell, they're going over my body. They're going over my life. They're going over my testimony. God being my helper, I'm going to win my loved ones to Christ. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.